Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. Verse 1. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. I like that. Very clear. (laughs) This is the main point. You guys get it? This is the main point. Don't, you know, like when a teacher says, take notes. This is going to be on the test. That's usually a good sign to take notes. This is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. What is the point to all this talking about Jesus being the great high priest, right? What's the, why the defense of his lineage? You know, oh, well, how, could, how could he be the high priest if he's not of Levi? What, why do we defend that? What's the advantage of this priesthood under Melchizedek who refreshed Abraham and brought him bread and wine and was tithed to by Abraham? What's the point of all of this? Why does all this matter? Supremacy in every single way, right? We have a high priest who doesn't just enter in once a year to deal with the sin. We have one that is seated at the right hand. That's what we have as as a high priest, as an advocate, who's seated at the right hand, who's constantly in in, in that place of presence in the heavens, right? That's not relegated to a temple, but is now in the true temple, it says, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which was the Lord erected and not man. We talked about how the temple or the tabernacle, which is the tent version of of the temple, was, had a lot of garden imagery, there's a lot of like going back to the garden. And what was the, the main thing that was happening in the garden that was, that was not happening after sin entered into the world? God and man dwelling and being able to be with one another and be able to, being able to, to talk. There was issues because of sin. And so this was the place where you can go and meet God. And, and as we've said many times, the Mosaic law, which is the one given to Moses, which we think about the law at Mount Sinai, was a concession in a sense. It was, it was definitely not perfect. It was limited in its nature. I mean, when you read through, if you've been doing the reading plan, you went through Exodus and Leviticus and you went through all the Pentateuch and you saw a lot of laws. Now, a lot of the, the, you look at a lot of those laws and you go, there's wisdom in a lot of that, just straight up face value wisdom, stuff that maybe we wouldn't even think of on our own, Like, you know, a lot of the Levitical medical advice, advanced, way advanced for its time. And there's a lot of wisdom in there. But the idea was, of course, God doesn't, I mean, everything he does has benefits. If we're trusting him, we're going to get benefits on benefits on benefits. Um, He has a way of blessing, like, the faith and blessing the action and blessing the process and blessing the mind and blessing the peace and blessing the whole thing, right? Right? But in the meantime, the, the, the goal was they were set apart. They were separated from the rest of, of the nations and God had made it again where he could be with them in the camp. That was the tabernacle. Now we see that Jesus is minister of the sanctuary, of the true tabernacle, which is 
uh, which the Lord, which is in heaven, the Lord erected. That's the idea. So it's the, the tabernacle or the temple is kind of a picture of the garden. It's also a picture of, of, of heaven. So there's, there's a place of what was and what will be. And this is like a little bit of that in-between stage. So what he built is so much greater, not something built with hands. Now we're going to get more into that. For the high priest, verse 3, for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. Well, the high priest would come in and do what? They were appointed, first of all, and then what would they do? They'd bring gifts, they'd bring sacrifices. This was their job, to be a mediator for the people. Therefore, it's necessary that this one also had something to offer. Well, what is it? What is it that Jesus offered? What is the sacrifice that he offered? Himself. His, he, he offered himself, right? What, what's the first thing? John the Baptist. What do we know about John the Baptist? He was like the greatest man to have ever lived before Jesus. You know, he was like this, this awesome dude that like loved God and was this forerunner and was like just gnarly. Char- a charger to the core. What happens when he sees Jesus? He says, what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's, there he is. So Jesus came in and offered a greater sacrifice, just like the priests would do. They'd come in and they'd do their sacrifices and if they did it exactly right, there was an atonement made. What's atonement? It's a covering, like a pitch. It would go over like, say, a, a roof tar, right? You know, when someone's doing a roof and they're doing the tar, we had a, uh, growing up, we had the rock roof. You guys know the rock roofs? You guys remember those? That's like tar and, and gravel, you know? And when it would be windy, the gravel's coming down. You could hear it like hitting, you know, and stuff. And, and when it rained, when it was wet outside, it was also wet inside. Not, a, not an ideal situation, but man, it was cool. Hey, we were coming up with some stuff like acoustic ceilings. You know, it was that era, Let's make everything have some texture and pop. Yeah, cool, sweet. If you have a rock roof, you are retro and awesome and vintage. You know, it's probably worth a lot now. And the water stains are character. But the idea of all of this is that that it was a covering. And it was a way of keeping out of something, right? That's, or think about Moses. When Moses was in the, in the basket, it was covered with pitch. And so what? He, he could float. The water didn't get in. That's the idea of the atonement, a covering, but it didn't deal with the real issues. We're going to talk about the real issues. Verse four, for if he were on earth, he would not be a priest since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises." Look at the words used to describe the former covenant. First of all, covenant. Let's talk about what covenant is. Covenant is a relationship, really. Right? When, you, when you decide to get married, you're entering into a covenant 
marriage. It's a, it's, you're, you're making a, a covenant with God. It's like taking it very seriously. It's, but it's, it's, all base, it's a basis of relationship. So when God made the covenant with um, Adam initially, right? You could say the Adamic covenant was, hey, Adam, let's hang out. Uh, I've got work for you to do. You see all this? You're going to rule and you're going to subdue. You're going to take care of the land. You're, you're going to be fruitful. You're going to do good things, right? And then obviously that covenant broke, right? What happens? Man gets worse and worse and worse and then comes the flood. So who was the one that was saved through the flood? This was the covenant with Noah. What was the covenant with Noah? Well, he saved him, but then he says, I'm not going to flood I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to flood the earth like this again. This is a relationship. Then what do we see? We see it with Abraham. What was the Abrahamic covenant? I'm going to take you apart from your own land. I'm going to make you a distinct nation among all the other nations. I'm going to make you have a huge amount of kids. You're going to have, you know, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. You're going to, every, you're going to have a land of promise. So he made the, this covenant with Abraham. Here's my relationship with you. He makes a covenant with Moses. This is how we can have a relationship. He makes a covenant with David. It's gonna become through the kingly line. And now we see the new covenant. We're gonna get to the new covenant. So the old was what? What are the words used to describe the old covenant, the tabernacle, and the old idea of priests? What are the words? They're right there. One says what? It says, a copy. <laughs> what does it say? A shadow. What else? There's, there's another one in there. There's a, a pattern, right? What do all these words speak of? No originality here. Like there's no, there's, some, there's another source somewhere else, right? If you hear that something is a copy, then you know that there's a, real, there's a real one somewhere. This is a copy. This, is, this looks like, it looks like the real thing, but it's actually just a copy. I was in Costco the other day, and um, uh, there, there was a person had a big order in front of me, and they were ordering, and they paid with cash, and um, all of a sudden I see the guy go like, looks at it, and he goes, He's like, oh, oh, and he does, he does the pen on it. And he looks at it and he's like, this says Warner Brothers money. Someone's trying to pay with hundreds of dollars of counterfeit stage money, you know, like for movies. And, uh, and so he calls over his manager and he's like, hey, check it out. And he's like, you can't pay with this. This isn't real, this isn't real money. Like this is, this is fake, you know? It says right there, Warner Brothers. And, uh, and then the person said, can I have it back? And he said, no, you can't have it back, you know? So he quick went and took a picture of, the, of this person's Costco card, just in case, right? And he said, man, that was, a, that was a good copy. I wouldn't have seen it if I didn't do the pen. The pen made it, you know, I could see the paper wasn't the right paper and all this and that. I said, how often does that happen? They said, a couple times a year. I was like, that was wild. And I said, well, the craziest part is that she wanted it back. She's like, I'm using this on offer up or something, you know, like I'm going to go buy a stereo and, you know, do that or whatever. But the idea is it's not the real thing. It's a copy. It can look close, but it's, it doesn't work. She bought no groceries with that money. 
It wasn't the real thing. And it's, copies aren't always bad, you know, like uh, guitars, like a Gibson Les Paul is like the standard. An Epiphone Les Paul is pretty good, but you always know it's a, it's a copy. It's like a, you know, it's another version of it. And so if you have an Epiphone, great. You might have a great Epiphone. Back, the ones back in the day were really awesome. Okay, all that to say. No offense. You'd be offended for the gospel, not because of what I said about your guitar. Okay. Or a squire and fender. Equal opportunities offender. Okay. Um, so this is the idea that this is the law was a copy, right? Who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. So this is a copy and a shadow, a glimpse. So a copy, there's, you know, there's an original. If there's a shadow, it's getting cast from something. Where's it coming from? Well, it's because there is a source and this is the light going around that source. You have the shadow. I'm not going to get into it because I don't know exactly how to say it with all the scientific, you know. But the idea is if there's a shadow, there is something that the shadow is of. And if there's a pattern, that means that there's somebody who designed it originally. So we say he's not a priest after the old way because the old way was a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. The pattern was the words, some believe that there was actually some sort of a model pattern that he could see. Who knows? We don't know. That was a, some, of the, some of the old Jewish uh, literature refers to that, they, that they believe that maybe he did. We don't know. But he was given a pattern either way to go and, and try and make this just like he had seen. But it was a pattern of the real thing. Who knows if maybe he could see a glimpse of, we don't know. We just don't know. You could get into speculation on that. Uh, but now he has obtained a more excellent, a more excellent ministry in as much as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Now, the covenant that was made between God and Moses was birthed uh, uh, out of this pain, right? Because you, you can imagine the scene. God, you know, takes uh, the children of Israel and he brings them through the, through the waters and then they're out of slavery and, and there's like fire and rumblings and crazy stuff happening as God is meeting with Moses. And uh, could you imagine that scene? And the next thing you know, they're sinning again, like, making a golden calf. How on earth could that possibly happen? Well, I'll tell you how it can happen. We're going to see here in just a second how it can happen. But they find themselves in this really bad place. And if you remember the story from Exodus, God is like, I'm done with you. I'm done. And then Moses intercedes and he's the mediator for his people. He mediates between them and God. And God says, I like you, Moses. I'm going to work with you, Moses. We're going to do this together, Moses. I'm done with them. And so what does he say? No, no, you can't be done with them. You've made your promise. You said you're going to do this. And he's like, fine, go on the land without me. He says, no, you can't. We, if we don't have your presence, we're not going. And he's like, yeah, okay. And then he makes a covenant. This is the basis of that relationship. So we have Moses as a mediator, which is like a Christ type. But how much greater is this kind of mediator, the actual Christ, who's now the mediator of a better covenant? 
which was established on better promises. Better promises in so many ways, in effectiveness and also in existence. This was the plan from the beginning. So this, this plan has been going just like the order of Melchizedek. There was a plan throughout the ages. Like the law had a beginning and an end, like the priesthood had a beginning and an end, this did not. So it's a better priesthood in its effectiveness or a better covenant in its effectiveness and also in its existence. This is plan A. You've been living in plan B. This is plan A. There's no concession here. Whereas the law, there was a lot of concession. And I think what's so cool about this is, is, and I think for us as the church is to recognize that we are no longer children of copy. We're no longer children of pattern. We're no longer children of shadow. We're children of the real thing. And that's why I think Christians should be the most authentic, real people in the world. We're connected with the, the, with the real living Savior. The, the, not a shadow, not a copy. You look around us, culture is a lot of copying one another. Even in church cultures. It's like, it's like oh, they all look the same. How do we be, how are we supposed to be just like, it? no, like we're supposed to be different, set apart, original. This is who Christians are. This is how we're supposed to represent because we're not representing the shadow or the copy or the concession anymore. It's not just about being a pattern. It's about being united and, and in relationship with the one who gives life, who builds and takes the earth around him and creates we talked about that last week a little bit, but um, I, that's just a side note. <laughs> but that excites me. I like that. Okay, verse seven. For that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Uh, because, um, sorry, wait, what just happened there? Uh, the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. If the first covenant had been good and faultless, okay, uh, so here's, remember this context. These were Christians of Jewish descent that were considering going back to the old. And, and so this is a multi-pronged attack on, there is nothing, um, there is nothing to go back to. Everything you're looking for is found in Jesus, the supremacy of Christ. So if the first one was faultless, then there would be no place for the second. Because if there was no fault, you know, why, it, it, but instead finding fault with them, he says this, and this from Jeremiah 31, and we're going to continue it in a second here. But this was from Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming. 31, starting at verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Why? Because this one was not working out very well. Uh, and if you know the prophets, the prophets are about captivity. <laughs> the prophets are about 
being conquered. The prophets are about not doing what they were supposed to be doing. And if it really boils down to, it's them not partaking in what God had told Abraham to do as distinct people. They weren't doing justice. They weren't doing righteousness. They weren't doing these things. They weren't set apart as a people. They weren't, they weren't doing the things they were called to. They weren't trusting in God. They weren't finding their faith in him in every way. They weren't uh, loyal to him. And so what was the result? Well, the nations were going to come in and capture them. And they had to go through that. So this is speaking of a better day, looking to a better day. And Jeremiah, what was his nickname? You guys, you love nicknames, right? You can't make your own. Don't ever make your own nickname. You're, then you're a, you're, a, you're a fake. You need someone to make one. And you better be smart because it'll be the worst thing you ever do will become your nickname, right? Especially if you have good friends. What's the, what, 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 was, what was the thing we, they called Jeremiah? The what? The weeping prophet. It's just doom and gloom. <laughs> you're like, hey, I want to serve the Lord. Well, great news, Jeremiah. You're in, buddy. By the way, you're going to have to tell them a lot of really bad things. Oh. Same with Isaiah, right? Isaiah has been exposed to the glory of God, and he's, he's getting a glimpse from this, he's, and he's like, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And then, and then the Lord says, Who's, who'll go for us? And he says, send me, I'll go. And he says, cool, you're going to give them a really bad message. You're going you're gonna to confront them about all how they're the fruitless vine. You're going you're gonna to destroy them. And then, and then in the stump, the smolder, there's going to be, in the smoldering stump, there's going to be a seed, the seed of the root of Jesse, which is father of David, which is the Messiah. So these guys were constantly in this place of gnarly turmoil. They're going through a lot, speaking out. And so this is really good news. Jeremiah is looking ahead as a prophet, as a mouthpiece for God. He's saying, the days are coming, says the Lord. Well, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. Which covenant would that be? In the day when I took them at, at by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. So it's going to be a different covenant, not like that one. Again, the former seen as a concession to make way for God to dwell in the camp. Huge step in the right direction, absolutely. But it was limited in its design in every way. Verse 10, so what about this new covenant? For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none of his brothers saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Likewise, Ezekiel spoke of this day in, in chapter 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Out of your flesh and put, give you a heart of flesh. The heart of flesh. What was the law written on initially? What was it when, at, the, at Sinai? What was it written on? Stone. <laughs> Stone. What do you know about stone? 
Give Stone a hug. I'm not so good. Sometimes I get the, like, the illusion that, yeah, it wouldn't be that bad to sleep on the floor. And then I remember we were in Mexico one time on a mission trip, and I slept on, like, the concrete. And I was like, I will never walk again, <laughs> you know? You get up, and you're like, my hip, my back, my, you know, ah, we ended up, I think I ended up crawling into like one of the vans and sleeping on a, like a four-foot seat, you know. I'm not doing this anymore. But the heart of stone has to be dealt with. So what is this new covenant all about? What is the thing that they were looking forward to? I'll put the laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. In their mind, on their hearts. So what is this new covenant all about? What are we being given? New mind and new heart. What do you see in Romans chapter 12? The renewing of minds. You know, your mind has a, has a lot to do with where you go. And we, we talked about that at our men's breakfast a couple weeks ago. Psalm 1. I mean, there was great benefits to, to meditating on the law of the Lord. Even when they were unable to have a heart of flesh, the idea of meditating on the, on the law of the Lord and keeping that on the front of your mind, right? That's the Deuteronomy thing where it's like on the doorposts, everywhere you go, when you talk about it, when you lay down, when you wake up with your kids, with your family, everything you do, constantly being reminded of this. Now, that was, again, completely limited because with a heart of stone, you can only go so far. This would be a new creation. What we're talking about right here what Jeremiah was looking forward to, what Ezekiel was looking forward to, was someone who was born again. This is what it looks like to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. And if you, we need the reminder, because sometimes we do, this is not a Christian, uh, you know, get along, try to look good club. This is dead men and women who've been made alive by the truth of the gospel, who've had hearts of stone that have become now flesh. Do you remember what it felt like to be heartless? I actually remember it. And I remember like, because you think, how could somebody do this to someone? And you're like, I actually know how that could happen. You could turn it off and you could be like, I don't care about you. I, I could care less about your life. Your life means nothing to me. And we're shocked when we see this in the world. This is standard issue, those born in sin. But what we speak of now is something way, way, way better. A new covenant. The one we've been waiting for. The long-awaited Messiah has now brought a new covenant to where now we have hearts of flesh. Renewed flesh, renewed mind. But guess what? That heart, that mind, it takes tending, doesn't it? You know this. We all know this. Like you, it just, it's not like just like, oh, well, now I'm done. You know your heart can grow hard. It can be made soft and it can grow hard again. How's that happen? You just, you keep on working it. You keep on not taking care of it and it gets calloused. In our minds, we keep on traumatizing them and we become desensitized. I went to a lot of concerts and shows as a kid. And I had no idea, you know, the first time I went, I remember just being like, uh, I came home, and this was a small show, and I came home, and my ears were just, for like a two days, you know? 
And I was just like, I don't know if I can do this, you know? What's so crazy is like a couple years later, you're like, I don't hear it anymore. This is awesome. <laughs> well, you know what's happened. <laughs> I want to fill in the lines for you. But if you ever think the worship's a little too loud, it's probably because I told Chris to turn it up. Why? Well, it's because the ring doesn't happen so much anymore. What's interesting though now is I'll go back and, and, and some of it has come back. You go, ooh, this is loud. But you're in it all the time. You can't hear. You, you don't know. You become desensitized. Just like maybe, you know, there was a movie you used to always watch or whatever, and you're kind of like, that's a funny movie. And then you like, you maybe even recommend it to people from church. Oh, that movie's so good. And then you go and you watch it, and you're like, oh, Lord, what have I done? I have not watched that movie in 15 years, and um, it shows. And you have to apologize. Hey, have you watched it yet? Yeah, man, I was kind of wondering, you know. <laughs> well... Seemed better at the time. But that's the idea. It's like where we can become more calloused again and we can become used to things that were, at one point, scandalous. That's what you try to teach your kids. At first, when, they're, you know, when they come around someone who tries to offer them drugs or something, they're like, no way. I want nothing to do with that. Well, yeah, you hang around those guys long enough, you'll find yourself doing it. You start being like, if that's all you're around, yeah, it's gonna, it's not, it doesn't take too long. You know, or you, you hang around here, you do this, you, you, you look around, that's, it's real easy for that to happen. So it is possible for our hearts to again become callous, but that, the answer doesn't mean, oh, I kind of become callous, I need to go. And no, we come back to our, uh, our Savior who again can renew our heart afresh and anew and cleanse us. He promises he can cleanse us as, as we confess our sins. He can cleanse us of our unrighteousness. He's faithful to do that. That's the mediator we're talking about. Who knows what it's like? So I'll put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. This means that there's now a new governing system in a sense. It's the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And the better you can learn to listen to the Holy Spirit in your life, to discern what he's telling you to do and to not do is gonna help you uh, just so much. If we're thinking like, what does a Christian do? What does a Christian do? What does a Christian do? How does a Christian act like this? How does a Christian act like this? It'd be like, uh, I, you know what? The spirit that was in Jesus is in us, you know? And we have the written word that would never be contradicted. So we look to the word and we have that constantly in our minds. We're reading, we're praying. Our hearts are soft and sensitive to the Lord. We are constantly confessing our sins. Well, as they come up, we're staying soft and moldable. And we have the, the, the living spirit of God in us that just goes, something wrong here. You know that feeling? Something wrong here. I need to leave. I need to get out of here. And then a lot of times you find out whether you did or didn't, why you should have, or you're glad you did. Or how to minister to people. I mean, not, it's all not all negative. It's like, how do we minister to people? Well, it's because we now have soft hearts and we share what we've gone through. So, okay. So what does the new covenant do? It gives us a new heart and a new mind. Secondly, restored relationship and intimacy with God. This is huge. So he's going to write the laws in their mind and write, uh, and write them on their hearts. I'll be their God. They shall be my people. I will be their God, they shall be my people. 
And then what does he say about that? None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, know the Lord for all uh, shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. So this is experiential, real communion with God. Do we know that we have access to that? First of all, do you know that if you see hardness of your heart, that God can fix that? Do you know that he can cleanse that? Do you know he can soften that? And maybe you remember what it felt like to be soft or to have your mind be on Christ, but now it's just not. It's somewhere else. And you go, I've already blown it. No, you haven't. You have a merciful, gracious God who is just waiting for you to say, I've blown it. And he's like, yeah, no, I know. Welcome back. I will cleanse you. I will renew your mind. I, I will soften your heart again as you surrender. I will be your God. You will be my people and you will know me. A lot of times we still, even though we're way done with the priesthood, right? Like we don't have to think about this in the sense of like, We've got to go to the priest, to the, I mean, like us, I guess, um, to go and, you know, meet with God or whatever. You know, we're, as a non-denominational, we believe that we have access to him, to the, to the Father, that we have this access because of what Jesus has done. You know, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. But how often is it that we do think we need that still? And, and I'll tell you, you want to know a sign of this? is if when something comes up in your life and you need wisdom, all, all that we do is go to other people. Like It's like you're looking for a priest or a prophet in your life, and that's all you do. Now, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, but there's been times in my life where uh, something comes up and you're just like, I gotta start talking to people about this. Never once did you start talking to God about it. You didn't start there like, like, Lord, what is going on? I don't know. I see there's more going on here than meets the eye. I better go talk to my friends about it. And if you have godly friends, that's a good thing. They can help you. But if they're really godly friends, they'll say, have you talked to God about this at all? Have you, have you gone to him? Because I could give you wisdom and my advice or whatever, but I would go to him because he's the one that's doing the thing in your life right now. He's the one that's in the middle of all this right now. So where are you going to go? To yourself? Are you going to go to him? Here. Here's, here's what's going on. And so this is the idea. Erase the idea that you have too hard of a heart or of a mind. God can work in that right now, right here, right now, boom, today. Because it's a decision. We say, here, I surrender to you again and afresh and anew. He will cleanse that. Now we follow along with that process and say, now I live like that's cleansed. I choose to make decisions of clean, being cleansed. Yes, I've taken a shower, but if I jump in the mud, then I'll obviously I'm going to have to go back to the shower. <laughs> Recognizing though that there's a been a cleansing in a process. Now also we know we can go straight to him. So if we think that we have to go to somebody else or that God's mad at us, he doesn't want to have a relationship with us, the first part getting right, your heart and your mind being cleansed before him opens up opportunities and access to this part. You're going to know him. He's going to know you. You're going to be his people. He's going to be your God. Then we say, what does he say after that? Um, for I will be merciful to the unrighteousness 
and their, for, to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. I will remember no more. And this speaks to what? Forgiven lives and free of guilt and shame that cripples us. Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night and you remember something you stupid you did? throughout the week, or it could have been like, you know, 1998 or something. <laughs> like, what was I doing? What was I thinking saying that? Or, what, ah, you know. You know that feeling where you're just like, ah, that came across wrong. If not, then, you know, you can pray for me in these ways. Um, <laughs> but the idea is, is that our sins are forgiven. So the new covenant, new heart, new mind, Restore relationship and intimacy with God. Open access. And then lastly, forgiven lives that are free of guilt. I mean, listen to this, this language from, from Jeremiah. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. How, what reference would Jeremiah possibly have had at this time to this? This was not normal in this culture. This was not normal then. This was speaking to a better day and it completely aligns with what Jesus came to do. New heart, new mind. So are we experiencing new heart, new mind? Are we experiencing restored relationship and intimacy? You, can, you know you can go to God. You can spend time with him and he's happy to be there and he's happy to meet with you and he will actually speak to you if we give him time and space and that we are now actually literally forgiven free of guilt. Guilt makes people do all kinds of crazy things. One of the most crazy things that guilt does is it keeps people away from coming to the place where they can be forgiven here. Like not just here, but just like to the cross. Like you know how many people are like, I don't want to go to church because I feel guilty. You're like, that's like saying you don't want to go to the hospital because you feel sick. That's where you go. You know, this is like, this is where you find mercy from the Lord. This is where you find grace. And, and it's a shame if that's the case. That might be a symptom of maybe we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. This isn't supposed to feel like a, you know, goody, good boy, good girl club. It's supposed to be sinners saved by grace. So are we experiencing those things, I guess? That's a good question. Think about it, and we could all, I'm, if you're saved, you can say you've experienced all three of these at one point for sure, but how are we doing in each one of these? I was asking myself this question. New heart, new mind. Restored relationship and intimacy and recognizing you're forgiven. Get this beautiful picture of Jesus, you know, you know casting our sins as far as the east is from the west which is, as you know, never meets. <laughs> verse 13, last verse here. In that he says, a new covenant, he's made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and, and growing old is ready to vanish away. So what does he mean? There's no return to the law. There's no, there is no old covenant. The, the old covenant is null and void. It's gone, it's done, it's becoming obsolete, it's growing old, it's ready to vanish away, it's done. The law is now written on, our, on hearts of flesh. You know, we've been restored and renewed. We're actually able to, to keep the law 
not that we're being sinless perfection, but now we're able to keep the law because our insides have changed. Our mind has changed. Our heart has changed. The Holy Spirit's living inside of us. We're now united as the body of Christ to do the works of the ministry on his behalf as his church, the bride. So what was once impossible is now not just possible, but it's the plan. This is what it looks like to really be a Christian. Like this is, this is the idea that we are living in this relationship of new heart, new mind, new creation. Do you know how much, you know how light that feels when you've been freed? If you pay off a credit card, how good does that feel? Pay off a car. Remember the last payment on Tori's car? And it was like, done, you know? Now, now for when it breaks, you know, like for the next one, you know, but then you get the title and you're like, whoa, that's done. We did it. First big purchase we ever made. Paid it off. Paid in full, baby. The idea, like, think about that is like, we now are renewed and redeemed and made whole in Jesus. Our lives have been transformed and all the implications of that, now we have restored relationship and intimacy. We, we're free of that, all the pain and the struggle and the weight of the world. It kind of just goes off of us. We have this, this beautiful picture of looking to Jesus through it all. Uh, I, maybe you guys have seen this clip. Um, Todd sent it to me this week. And uh, Have you seen the University of Oklahoma? Did you see the, the girls softball team? really interesting that they haven't lost I don't think in years they're 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 dominant I mean they are monsters out there but at the end uh they were doing interviews with them there was like four of them up there the coach and then three of the girls and they said how do you deal with the pressure how do you deal with all this and each one of them would not stop talking about their identity in Jesus because they said that, you know, wins come and go. You cannot find your peace in, in accomplishments or outcomes. One of them said, when I came as a freshman, I, uh, we won the championship. And it was like everything I had always hoped for. But as soon as I was done with it, I was like, what, where, what else is there? And she says, and I didn't know, I didn't, hadn't put my trust in Jesus. And so the, the team, it makes it sound like the whole team is like born again Christians, which is wild. I don't know. It sounds like the coach is preaching. I'm like, is she going to get fired? No, probably not. They haven't lost in like four years, you know, or whatever. But isn't that so what God would do is to exalt people who are going to honor him and point to the right? It's just like, this is, and you could feel the life in them. They're, and they're all building off one another and they're like getting excited and they're bold. And you hear this, this poor reporter who's got to who's try and keep it not about God. And that's all these players want to talk about but it's like, it's on the tip. It's like every on of your lips, like it's, it, it's of your tongue. It's, it's on your lips. It's all you can talk about because it's the reality of the real success they see in life. This is what new covenant Christianity looks like. We're always able and ready and experiencing this beautiful relationship, grace and redemption in our hearts that we can't help but tell other people about it. But if church becomes a Christian club, it's not fun to talk about. When we talk about dead men coming back to life, that's very fun to talk about. That's why we have so much fun doing the Voyager podcast. 
because it's really extreme. You see really extreme stories and you see God redeem and you see lives that were on a, on a highway to hell, so to speak. And then boom, they're flipped around and they're like exalting and following Jesus. And they're like, there is no better party in life than following Jesus. But that's the new covenant. We're under that. So how much are we enjoying the new covenant we've got in Jesus? This new high priest who's made it. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.